Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. What is life if you don't have art? Give your art to the world because the world needs that. Embrace mentors. Look at the people who have already done what you've done. If you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. I'm here today with composer and guitarist Dave Preston. He is a very talented musician who has performed with some of the biggest names in the world. People from Justin Timberlake, Matt Morris, Charlie Sexton, Kelly Clarkson, and a bunch of other artists that we know and love. He's appeared in a lot of shows, The Late Night Show with David Letterman, Alan Generous, CBS Morning Show. He is also a musical director for the folk rock country band Deerling and the 90s rock band, the Freddie Jones Band. Dave, I'm really glad to have you on the show, uh, so welcome to the podcast. Man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, dive in here with an inspiration. I like to start off with something that inspires, inspires all my guests. So whether that's a piece of music, an artist, um, a quote, something that, something that inspires you that you, that kind of you live by. Well, I think every day there's, there's something brand new for you. Um, you know, I was actually just talking about this. When you become uh, good enough that you feel like you can teach something and you jump into teaching it, you actually wonder who the student is. Uh, there's times when you sit down and you're teaching and sure you, you happen to know, and let's just do in this case guitar. I'll sit down, I'll teach guitar to somebody, and I just happen to know the guitar a little bit better than this person. But as time goes on, they, they start to question things and uh, they, they start to bring up different modes of thinking that, that really inspire you. So what I would say as far as inspiration is anything that can shake the current perspective you're in and put you in a different frame of mind so you can start to begin new creative works. Okay. So basically, you're the eternal student. Uh, always, man. <laughs> <laughs> always. Oh, I got nothing figured out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive in a little deeper then and, and hear about your story. How did you get started? Why, how did you become a musician? So, um, well, I started playing guitar in middle school for girls. And girls would call and I'd play them songs. And, that, and that, I just liked that a lot. But I played uh, a lot of baseball. And when I when I got into high school, I, just, I just kept playing guitar and writing songs. It was so much fun. And um, I was in a band with my older brother, Mike and our friend Chris Durant, and we uh, played in a band called The Echo. I was uh, 15, 16, and 17. We got to play um, Herman's Hideaway, and I remember being really scared. We played old venues in Colorado that have changed names and some of closed doors and all that, but the scene was so different then. And so I got a, so I was playing a lot of electric guitar, and then I graduated high school, and I was uh, I was gonna be a firefighter, and I became uh, EMT certified, and and uh, yeah, I just I was working construction and going to college, and I just I would play guitar um, out at open stages uh, just because I loved it. I really loved to perform and share music. And uh, it was a cold December morning, and I was supposed to work construction, and I called my boss and I said, I just think I'm gonna try doing guitar. It was one of these weird moments. Like, you don't realize it, but it was the crossroads. That was the moment I decided. And it, um, it was just 20 years old. Um, that was 12 years ago. My boss was really gracious. He said, well, call me if you want work. And I haven't called him. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've been doing waiting by the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably not for me. <laughs> but, yeah, I was um, very grateful 
to be able to have the opportunity. And I wanted to be a singer songwriter first. And, but I quickly learned that, that in order to make a living doing this, I had to play guitar for multiple people and I couldn't just saturate my market with, with my songs. So I needed to be gigging all the time. So it was just a, it was just a learning experience the the inner student, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Why did you choose guitar? Like, you know, of all the instruments I remember from, for me personally, it was around fourth grade. They brought out all the instruments and they said, Hey, choose something. Yeah. What was it that made you choose to play the guitar? Cause it's not one of the easiest instruments to learn on first thought, you know? No, it's got a, it's got a steeper learning curve for sure. You know, uh, my, my dad was a guitar player and he had guitars playing around and my older brother played a little bit. So, I mean, just, just, uh, just by having them around, just making it, you know, easy. But my first instrument was a snare drum. So I played that in band. Having that as a back, as a backbone, you know. There you <laughs> go, a drummer. That's a man after my own heart. I grew up a drummer, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> Percussion right. all the way, man. I can't read yeah. music to save my life, but I can play the drums. <laughs> hey, it's all feel thing, you know. If you can right. keep that, that's okay. Uh, tell me about, and then we, we've talked a little bit in the intro about some of the success you had uh, with the artists that you've played with. But if you don't mind, share one of those stories of how some of that success came away or how, how playing with some of these popular artists came about. You know, as time goes on, I start to see that, that every time I'll, I'll end up just gratefully working for somebody who has uh, the music business, you know, in their hand at the time. And, and they seem to be a, a really prominent figure in that market. Anytime that seems to happen, I do, I do tend to try and take a take a note of where I am, uh, either spiritually or or just with my different perspectives, and I um, just to try and take inventory about uh, what's going on in my own life um, that would lead me to such a moment. And when I worked with uh, Justin Timberlake, I was playing guitar for a guy named Matt Morris, who was signed to Timberlake's label, and they were longtime friends from the Mickey Mouse Club back in the day. And uh, Matt, Matt was one of the best singers I've ever played for. He was amazing. And he had a really good heart and a good soul. And his album was just released. And we got to do the, the David Letterman show. And uh, Ellen DeGeneres loved him so much. So she invited us to play on the show. And this is back before Ellen started having music featured. So it was truly, truly an honor. You know, it was a long flight from New York to L.A., and I get to L.A., and I'm looking forward to sleeping and relaxing, and, and, and Matt calls me, and he says that, uh, that Justin wants to have a rehearsal for the Ellen show, because Ellen wanted us to, um, to play two songs instead, and I didn't know that, so I was like, okay, and he goes, well, do you want to come? I go, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do, <laughs> and so... Um, so I went and it was what was really cool about meeting Justin was um, it was it was a little intimidating at first. And he walked into this uh, rehearsal studio and, you know, there's myself and John Powers are standing there. John Powers was the drummer for Matt Morris. And we're uh, we're standing there on the stage behind our instruments and we're just, you know, we don't know what to expect. And Justin walks in with his entourage and just kind of gets his bearings straight. He introduces himself and he says, if you um, he threw everybody out of the room basically, except for him and Matt. Yeah, so he, everybody, including us, and he looked at myself and John, he goes, even you guys, go ahead and leave. So <laughs> John and I just kind of go, okay, yeah, cool, absolutely. So we go out, and there's, there's, there's label people, there's, uh, there's, there's just a bunch of business people, and um, Justin comes out of the doors maybe 10, 15 minutes later, and he says, if you play an instrument, come into the room. And I was like, I, I know I'm going to like this guy. 
<laughs> it's a foundation that that's what it is like it's supposed to be the music then when you have that idea then then you can go down the business route yeah and uh next thing i know is that john and i are on stage uh playing and we start playing uh some beatles songs and we start playing um some original songs and him and matt morris singing together is just such a treat to listen to but um justin uh was offered to sing uh, right at the time there was this terrible earthquake in Haiti and Haiti had this big telethon. There was a big uh, fundraiser thing going on and he, um, him and Matt were going to play it. And then they started singing Alleluia and we came in and, and did this uh, arrangement of it. Next thing I know, Charlie Sexton walks in the room. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. That was, that was like just watching a spirit emerge. I swear he's not really a person. <laughs> he's just kind <laughs> of, uh, similar stories about Mick Jagger just appearing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just, <laughs> All of a sudden he's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then uh, Justin, Justin always saw John and I as artists. He never, never thought of us as session guys or hired guns. He always saw us as, as artists and he values, valued our opinions. And that was, that was really special. So, um, that's a long-winded answer, but uh, I do, I do try to keep track of, of, you know where I'm at at the time. There was there's a big um, a big focus on healing in the world, and, and it was truly truly an honor to be part of Hope for Haiti because that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to heal that country from devastation, and uh, that seems to be a prominent theme every time that there's a catastrophe. That I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what what do you think? differentiates as far as artists go like someone like justin timberlake versus you know like a coffee shop singer songwriter like you know that differentiation between someone who's reached the pinnacle of their career versus you know what i mean like as far as their audience and that kind of thing yeah so the first thing i will say about justin is that he he works hard and it is a level of work ethic that i wish a lot of people could be exposed to Talent, talent is one thing. I think talent allows you to access whatever medium you're doing in a very, very particular way. And if, if you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. So the difference between Matt Morris and a Justin Timberlake, a singer-songwriter in a coffee shop and, and a, the largest pop star in the world, is Matt was hands down a better singer. And Justin's known as one of the better singers in in pop music period, but Matt could just sing. And it was so easy for him to just sing. People talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan, he could just play the guitar and play better than anybody. But somebody like Justin could sing well, don't get me wrong, he's amazing. But he knew that he had to just keep running it over and over again. And after that, nobody had it better than Justin. It's, it's not just singing, it's the dancing, it's the, it's the way he markets himself, it's the business techniques, it's, it's that level of craftsmanship for your business, for him, doesn't stop. So the, the difference is knowing where to work, where to work smartly, or smartly, is that a word? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. Intelligently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are some challenges that you've had personally along your way, some things that have kind of maybe held you back a little bit or that you had to fight through to get to the next level? I think, um, oh gosh, that is such a great question. You know, I, a really big part of big part of this business is obviously you have to know how to play your instrument. But I think in the shoes that I'm in, you almost have to be able to read people better than they know themselves. What do you mean? So like if, if you and I are in the studio and there's there's something that you're feeling and you start playing it or, or you know, and, and um, 
you might not quite know how to get it out or you might not know how to communicate it to me so I can pull it out of the guitar in an effective way. I have to be able to read, read you and be able to take the next steps. That's, that's a continuing process. That's very hard. There's, there's oftentimes, Jim, like there's, I'll be in a session and I'll go, well, just play two notes. And those two notes are it. And I can't take any credit for it, but you know, you, <laughs> you just stay out of the way, you know? And like, if it calls for you to do more stuff, then, then you do more stuff. But you're really just trying to read, understand artists the best that you know how and, and try to just pull out this, you know, more of what they're feeling, you know. Now, you've, you yourself have had uh, several albums, four or five albums that you've put out. I'm sure, like, that's a difficult process in and of itself. Give us a little little story about one of those that maybe you encountered some challenges or maybe even the first one, you know. Yeah, so, uh, well, the first one um, that I released actually was just an experiment. I didn't expect to ever release it. Um, it was an ambient record called B, and I was doing a lot of session work. I was playing a lot of jazz and blues around Denver, and it was I was basically saying a lot on the guitar. I was playing a lot of notes, but I, I didn't really feel like I was saying anything, if that makes any sense. It's just, just spouting off words and hoping that something makes sense. And after a while, as an artist, that, that really can pull on you. And it was pulling on me. And so I was hearing about this ambient music and how it's centered around just mood and vibe and, and trying to find that. I was like, well, surely I can find the importance of one note if I did an ambient record. I would uh, record in the day and I would go play at night. And it took me 15 days to finish B. And I couldn't believe that, actually, because I obviously had a lot to figure out. And it just it just happened. It came out. This is MySpace was big at the time. And I put it up on MySpace and uh, some ambient artists that lived in Colorado that were pretty big international names heard it and helped me uh, launch my career. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, do you mean people listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> Not goes, just in the elevator? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, I didn't, I mean, I don't know. Right. And so I named it B and each track is named a different B and then a virtue. Be true, be, be alive, be something, be different being. And that was 2008. And it went out in the world and I went, I went to Africa and took a trip there and it was an independent trip. It was wonderful. And I had internet a few times. And when I looked on the, uh, on my laptop, I saw that my album had charted and I, I was in the third world, which was just really amazing. And straight at the time Obama's, uh, was elected and his whole campaign was hope. And I had one of the songs was be hope and it was featured in a podcast. Yeah. Like a playlist that, that he chose. And it was, yeah, I mean, that just kind of launched that. And what was interesting is the first time I met Justin, uh, Matt Morris, he says, that's Dave Preston. He did the B record. Justin looks at me in big, big eyes. He goes, you're Dave Preston. You you did B. I go, yeah, I did. And he comes over and shakes my hand. And I thought that was just crazy. That's validating, isn't it? I'm like, I recorded that in my parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. What what's one of the um, one of the biggest lessons that you've learned from being a musician that you've kind of incorporated into your daily life or your regular life? Oh boy, um, discipline and focus. Uh, it's not easy for artists to be those things, uh, focused or disciplined. You take uh, something so vague as music, it's just this concept and this philosophy of it, and then you have to kind of hone out all these notes and make it into something that's actually a story. And uh, yeah. I'd say discipline and focus. 
it comes down to that. But if you're going to try to release music into the world, it, it does have to have an intent, a very focused intent. You have to be disciplined enough to, to make it. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you like composing music versus playing live versus recording? Like, which of those three do you like best? Oh, I love them all. I love them all equally. But if, if, I, had, if I had my way, um, I, think, I think I would just spend more time in the studio. But my gosh, there, I mean, there's nothing better. You look out there and you see people actually responding to, to what you're doing in real time. And, and then, they, and then they, you, hear, you hear their perspectives, you hear the things that they've been through. And it's just music. Music's phenomenal. It, it, I think it, it's interesting, too. It's, it's important to state that when somebody comes up and gives you a compliment, they're not, they're not giving you a compliment. They're saying, thank you for touching me. You're, you're great. You're a great guitar player. You're a great artist. But you can't you can't allow that in. Like there's this, it's your focus, it's your discipline that got you to that place. But what they're connecting to is higher than you. Yeah. So they're connecting to the experience of the music, which which you can take credit for, but you actually can't take credit for. <laughs> so it's it, you know it's like when you're painting. I'm not a painter by any means, but there seems to be a point where you can easily cross over the bridge and make it something that's you went too far instead of leaving it alone. Right. Right. It, and that's, it's very similar to music too. On that same vein, what do you love most about music? I think everything that I know about life, I can relate to music and baseball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the subtleties and the intricacies of baseball is something that, that I learned in high school and playing baseball my entire life. And I know those intricacies in music. Some of the things that are, are when energy shifts and either the, the, t the other team has an advantage or the energy shifts and now you have to pick up the tempo for the next piece. Or um, in someone's career when they need to make a pretty harsh business decision, that's, that's also very musical. That can, be, uh, that can be translated easily into musical terms. Then, and plus music language, uh, dynamics, keys, and melody, harmony, all those things actually really relate to just life. A lot of laws, right? Um, living in the law of harmony, uh, giving yourself the chance to balance with everything, and giving yourself the law of rhythm and knowing the timing of things and uh, knowing when you're out of time and out of sync. And, uh, actually, you know, going back to harmony too, when you are uh, when you're harmonizing, you're not necessarily in the lead. You're not in the spotlight. But yet you play a very important role. And there's times to be in the spotlight. Melody and dynamics. There's There's peaks and valleys of one's life, and loud moments and quiet moments. And how that translates into baseball is great too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a baseball interview on a different podcast. <laughs> I'll have that on my sports podcast. <laughs> you had said something that a direct correlation of, of like harmony in music versus harmony in life, when to take the lead, when to follow, when to be part of the choir or the musician, the band, if you will, I guess. Like, and I, I can really see those correlations between the two because that's definitely how I think it reflects directly into life, how we live our lives. Well, yeah, I mean, I think everybody can have a moment where they realize the timing is right. What, is, what does that mean? Like, well, yeah, the timing is right. Now you, now you have to focus on something. So, it, I mean, it becomes a philosophical outlook easily, but... So when you start thinking in that in musical terms, it gets very interesting very quickly. Okay, for example, if, if I'm going to work with an artist, 
these are the kind of things that you're reading. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not trying to dig into the psychology of somebody, but you're trying to, you're trying to read where, where this person might be going. Right, right. It's something that I talk about a lot with my wife is the kind of music that you want to find yourself in, in the future, instead of putting out uh, music that might not be the most deep, <laughs> uh, you know, you you know, sing about being rich and bling, bling, bling to find money. That's not it. It's, no. uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's not quite how it works, at least, at least in my, uh, my understanding. <laughs> maybe I should change that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that is the secret, huh? <laughs> you know, it's funny, like a lot of, especially hip hop music, yeah. you know, you'll hear, you'll hear them rapping about having money or getting money or whatever. And, I think oftentimes, especially if it's a new song, a new artist, like they didn't really have money when they created the song, but the song yeah. became popular and it gave them money. Yeah. So yeah. they rapped about having money when they didn't have it, but then it came to them after, you know, because the song was popular. Yeah. It kind of makes you, makes you wonder what new problems Jay-Z presented to himself when he released 99 Problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we know what wasn't a problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No longer a problem. Let's scratch that off. I only have a 98 now. Let's go a little bit deeper. Um, since we're talking music philosophy a little bit, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to an artist starting out in their career? I just did this recently. Um, if you're starting off in your career, um, understand that your artist development on the inside is going to be very dissonant at times with the actual music business. If you have an artist that wants to be a musician, once again, we're taking this big concept of music, right? And we're just pulling out these strings. I want to do music full time. Okay, well, you have to understand how to make it a full time job. Mm -hmm. and the music business has a very interesting way of trying to make it a job for not just the artists, but for people that manage a bunch of stuff. So right there, there's obviously some dissonance. You might have an artist that really feels that their soul just ignites with Latin music and they play Latin music better than anybody. But Latin music might not be the best market for, say, Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Right. So in order to make it as a musician, he might have to start doing he or she I should say, might have to start doing some different music in order to make it in the music industry. So it's just. It's just understanding the market you're in and learning how to work it for you. So a really funny, funny thing to think about is if uh, Beethoven was alive today, what, what would he be doing? Would he be spending a bunch of time writing music or would he be actually composing on the computer software that we have available to us? I mean, that, that's a conversation that can go anywhere. But would he... I mean, gosh, all these great composers throughout the times, you find out that they've been composing, like one month, Mozart composed in 28 pieces. Yeah, it's like, oh, I did, live, eat, and breathe. What, like 28 pieces, and they're all just miraculous, you know? And, but he had to get by, he had to survive. <laughs> you know, it's one of those, that, that's interesting, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't, at least I don't, I didn't really hear a lot of the personal uh, stuff that these uh, legendary guys went through. Well, you talked about B and how you created that album in 15 days. Mm -hmm. And I had heard an interview with Elton John before. And like Elton John said that most of the albums that they write, the songs they write, they'll write the entire album within a week or two. And he yeah. puts it all together within a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing because the songs are 
you know, fantastic. And yeah. they have this enduring quality that lasts for years. And it took them like 15 minutes to dump it out onto the piano. And it's, yeah. it's just amazing. I mean, that, that really speaks to, to how, he, how he thinks of music as that funnel and how, how important it is to actually stay out of the way. You're getting, you're getting this, this information, right? And, and you have to, you, it's your job to put it out there and make it accessible for just everybody. It's funny. I was actually in my car uh, driving, and my uh, my son. We were listening to classic rock. And Tiny Dancer came on, and he goes, "Change it, change it." I go, "I will never change." Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's you got to have that that appreciation for all different types of music, Absolutely. and especially the classic, well written, well composed, well produced music. Absolutely, yeah, it touches touches a lot of hearts. Do you think that also we, especially in our modern culture of, of immediate satisfaction and, and convenience, do you think that we often miss that kind of period of time? You know, uh, uh, what's his name? Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours. Like, I'm sure, I don't know Alton's full story, but he spent his childhood learning piano and probably many years of grueling piano play till yeah. he got to that point where it didn't come automatically. Like, there is years of practice and study that took place beforehand to get to that point where he can just compose a song within 15 minutes. Like, yeah. Do you think that's true with everything that we do and especially in music? I think, it, yeah, it's human nature, right? I mean, you you only, it's funny. It's really funny um, because there, you go through those period, like different periods in those 10,000 hours that you, you might've hit a thousand hours and you feel like you have a good grip on it. And then you put in a different position and, and all of a sudden you realize that you don't have the grip that you had. More time goes on and you feel like you can force your way through something. You take this idea and you, you start really molding it and you realize that I might have destroyed this and now you're just trying to save it. And then that might happen to you a few more times. But when you get closer to that 10,000 hours, you're able to take something completely raw and just do your quick little touch to it and send it out without having to tarnish the edges or anything like that. Right, right. And this nice little uh, uh, dance, I guess you could say. You know, one of the things that we want to do is we want to grab it and we want to mold it into into our way of life. You know, what you're talking about with Elton John is that he just gets, this, gets the lyrics, sits down, does it, good, move on. <laughs> and Yeah, and that's one of the things that uh, Bernie talked about uh, when I met him. He, he was doing an art show and so he, only, he really only wanted to talk about his art but I asked him about the music writing and he said that he will write the song completely separate you know and he sends the here's my lyrics and he sends them off to Elton and then Elton takes the lyrics and it's just words on a page and from that he composes a song around the lyrics and I, I find that to be amazing it's, it's and personally for me that that's one of the more difficult ways to write a song but how Elton was able to my gosh his music is wonderful. And then he combined it with giant duck suits and all that and the big glasses. Just, the guy the guy is amazing. He's, he's definitely an iconic pop star, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Elton, and we talked a little bit about Justin and Matt Morris, who are three artists that really inspire you and, and why? Oh, boy. Uh, great. That's a wonderful question. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> um, and they don't have to be musicians. They can be other... Love it. Love it, absolutely. You know, my my wife would would laugh so hard right now, but I have to say, Gordon Ramsay is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why is it's 
is his passion is contagious and he yells uh, a lot. Yeah, he yells a lot. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a decent balance in his personal life, but uh, he never stops. He's always searching for perfection. I, I really admire that. And he's able to take somebody who is kind of stuck and pull him out of that and give him a new version of excellence to strive for. I really admire that. Um, I love uh, the works of Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir in the ambient world and creating music that uh, that just appears. And they, they work with legendary guitarists like Robert Fripp. And, um, yeah, just uh, I, I really admire artists that think about uh, recorded music as trying to capture human beings in their journey at that particular moment. Hmm. To me, it becomes a deeper philosophical, spiritual uh, thing to listen and experience recorded music. Yeah. Um, and, and it's from them that I really um, learned that, I guess. Um, Anybody guys, else? What's that? Anybody else? One other artist that you may uh, draw inspiration from? Oh, boy. Ravi Shankar. Um, once again, there's this great, uh, great moment with Ravi is he's playing Woodstock. And he... Uh, I think it's Woodstock. I'm, I'll have to. I'll have to go back and find it. But this. This is wonderful. He's. He's on stage. He's introduced and he's tuning. He tunes his instrument for 15 minutes, and that's a long time. You know, the crowd becomes restless, and finally, like he gets to the microphone, he says, "Now you're in tune." Ah. <laughs> yeah. You tuned. You, you tuned the audience. For sure. Now you can start. <laughs> really wonderful i love stuff like that you know there's there's a long list of artists for sure i mean anything anything that could just rub against your ear in the right way or your heart why do you think we should care about art i think my wife would completely disagree with me uh, we were talking about this the other day is actually i think that everybody admits art and it's it's just an expression it's uh, i remember reading william james who's a doctor philosopher a long time ago and he was talking about the nervous system and how the nervous system expresses itself through habit and he had this great way of saying you can erase a habit but the fold will never leave the paper hmm. and you talk about addicts that are recovering and, and uh, they have to always be on top of their of their addiction and they're well, they're very prone to becoming an addict again when I think about somebody saying that they're not an artist, they are an artist. Their, their body is expressing itself. Whether you're, you're mentally aware of how your body is holding itself or expressing itself um, or not, um, that's, that's your choice. When it comes to art, though, being able to take that expression further and impact other people with it uh, through whatever medium that you want it to be. I mean, you could argue that athletes are artists as well, because it's very inspiring what some of them can do. Um, in fact, what most of them can do, because good Lord. So I think it's important because it's, it's how we see the world. It's how we experience the world. It's how we experience other human beings. And it's how we, um, it's how we gauge things. I mean, art to me is really all there is. <laughs> you can disagree or not, but I, I really feel like that's, that's what makes a lot of sense to me. Sure, sure. You're talking. We talked a little bit about like when we were younger, an artist. And when I grew up, there was no choice given in school. Like we learned the recorder. Like everybody got a recorder in right, yeah. first grade or second grade, or whatever. But then by the time I got to, I think it was fourth grade, 
everybody went we went to like an assembly and they had all these instruments and they're like everybody chooses an instrument and like everybody has to play something and i think by the time you get to junior high school those who weren't really into it they didn't have to anymore but those of us who were into it we stayed in band and you continued on and in high school there's several different bands that you're able to play in jazz and concert and symphonic yeah. and stuff and i think like that today that's lost a little bit at least my experience out here in colorado is they don't have those same kind of programs and if you want your child to be involved in music you have to kind of seek it out on your own to mm -hmm. find music teachers and things like that it's not supported in the school system the way it was when i grew up um yeah i mean i think that i personally think that's a huge loss and how do we change that how do we get people more like the importance of music i first of all i completely agree with you and that was my experience growing up with music too is, is i remember the recorder had a, the, the it was almost a bathtub full of soap and he'd put the record recorder out it just suds everywhere it uh and yeah i mean um you're right i mean i i get i get calls from kids that want to audition for jazz band in school or they don't have jazz band in school or and they they want somebody to play with or you know i used to teach at a back right before my career started doing what i was doing and it, when it took off i taught at a, a school it was um, it wasn't the school of rock. It was called band dynamics, and we put kids in bands and taught them songs. And I thought that that was really interesting. Um, that there was a bunch of kids that wanted to play that kind of music. But I also thought it was kind of the death of rock and roll, that rebellion in a way. But then you could you could take that into jazz as well, because jazz was a rebellion, and teaching jazz in high school must be you know the death of, the death of that rebellion as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all that philosophy um, to change that. I think parents that, that can expose their kids to every variety of music. I had, I remember growing up listening to Philip Glass and David Bowie and um, and Elton John. My mom was a big big Elton John fan, and then you know Bon Jovi, and then we listened to uh, Mozart and Tchaikovsky, and my dad would expose me to some jazz, and and everyone prides himself listening to quote everything, mm -hmm. but it's not it's not quite everything. You know, it would be great if, if people would expose themselves to new music and new perspectives. And, and I get that it, there's a lot of it and it can be somewhat intimidating and maybe even scary. But it would be great if the generation behind us could grow up and, and uh, become more worldly with their perspectives because of, because of what they listen to. I think that would be great. I want you to answer this next question, kind of split yourself in half and look at it from the consumer side and then also from the musician side. Love it. Because you started really becoming professional and publishing your music in this digital age. Mm -hmm. uh, 2009, you said, was B? 2008? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the iPhone had just launched. You know, the iTunes had been around now for eight years or so, nine years or so. And how do you see the ability for us as consumers to, to have music at our fingertips, um, individual songs, plus even composing music so easily versus as an artist and that delivery system of music? Oh, it's so great as a consumer, right? I mean, gosh, you buy a phone and there's GarageBand on there and, and uh, there's samples and I can, I can basically make an EDM track and I can manipulate it and, and it can be like an original song and I can hit a button and it'll upload itself to iTunes and our Apple music. And then I can publish it on YouTube. And I mean, it's, it's so cool how accessible it is. 
And then, gosh, I could find any song on my phone in seconds. I remember being a boy. There was a Richard Mark song, and I couldn't. I didn't even know the words. I walked into a record store and I, I sang it for this guy, and he's like, "No, I don't know it." Like, and then I had to wait weeks until somebody finally guessed what the song was, and I was like, "That's it." <laughs> Nowadays, gosh, I hit Shazam, and I mean, I know, I know everything about the song, I, and I have all the lyrics right there. In fact, I memorize the song before it's over that's that's just incredible to me so as a consumer i love that um the artist side of me still feels like music is sacred and this might be going into a realm where people that might not quite understand the power of music might be jumping into something and publishing um something that might be affecting another person without them knowing in in a in an interesting way so but I will say that digitally, that um, the way human beings experience music digitally is definitely different from the way human beings experienced music with tape and vinyl. Mm-hmm. I, I think, in, in recording-wise, it is a golden age. I mean, you can you can get sounds now, you can get tones now, and everything. The the era of the demo is done. I mean, anybody can make anything sound really good. Yeah, you just have to be completely open to it. And um, and really push yourself. I mean, you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on records anymore. Yeah, that's really great. It's really cool. What do you think about from the business side? You know, gone are the days of the album. Like while you as a musician, you still have albums. I've got five albums up here on your site. Yeah. Um, but you know, we as consumers don't have to buy albums anymore. I don't remember the last time I bought a full album, even not, even digitally. You know, I buy yeah. songs or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, it just comes down to when you think about the like dark side of the moon or gosh, just thinking about how it syncs up with the uh, with the Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah, like these guys were doing that with tape like that must have been very hard, (laughs) (laughs) very hard, because now it's it's hard. Right. And it seems impossible. But like you you had concept records, you had albums that were dedicated to uh, whatever the, the idea was. Right. I think that's what we need to get back to doing is if you're going to do an album, make it actually about something cohesive. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, it's, it's almost like a musical in a way, you know, it's not just a bunch of songs that just happen to be good enough to make a record. Right. It needs to, yes, it needs to be about something, but I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I do like to still buy records because it really gives me an insight into the artist and their choices and the producer and their choices. I just like the atmosphere of records. Wait, uh, all right. That's good. That's great. What do you think holds most artists back from becoming professionals or, or just being the best artists that they can, they can be? Well, themselves. <laughs> Expand on that a little bit. <laughs> um, becoming the best artist you can be implies that, you, uh, that there's something that you might not be able to reach. And if you accept that you can't reach it, then you're really limiting yourself. The first step is is believing that you can do it. What is a professional artist? What does that mean? Well, a great quote by Robert Fripp, amazing guitar player. He says, musicians deal with music, and a professional musician deals with the music business. Hmm. So if you want to be a professional musician on whatever level, if you want to be in, like a genius, you need to develop both simultaneously very, very well. What's cool about David Bowie is you learn that David Bowie, 20 years ago, when he took over as his own manager, he would sell um, songwriting, future songwriting royalties for equity from investors. 
I mean, that, that's 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 kind of a genius move. It's like, yeah, for future future royalties for songs that I haven't written yet, you can have those, but I need money now. It's just that's that's a really interesting concept. I mean, and Bowie, Bowie, in my opinion, was one of the real true artists who was twenty, thirty years ahead of his time always. And he <laughs> he was so good. He's so amazing. And in the business, I mean, that's uh, just knew what he was doing. So I would consider him a genius. What do you think about the difference between um, someone like early Bowie, who was always, you know, Ziggy Stardust, always in costume, or Elton John, you met, we mentioned, yeah. in the duck suit, versus yeah. the, the, the showmanship. Even Madonna, like a virgin dressed in her bride outfit, versus yeah. a band... The first one that comes to mind would be a band like Rush, where it's three dudes on stage right. playing music. There's no gimmick. There's no. Is there a difference there? And is there a difference in artistry? Well, yeah, of course. Um, what I love about Lady Gaga and and Madonna and is is that it's it's just so fun to jump into this world, right? And Beyonce, they exist in this. It's all in how the crowd participates with your music so they they want to put on a show and it's them and then there's a little veil and then there's the audience and the audience is right there with them and with people like rush it's there's no veil the veil is whatever they put on for themselves it's not it's not a it's not like a what's interesting is that you see lady gaga try to kind of peek through that veil every now Mm -hmm. yeah like the the subtle elton john moments where he's trying to be a human you know (laughs) People go, oh gosh! Like this intimate moment with Elton just killed me. You know, um, Michael Jackson was brilliant at it. You know, just just having these these personas. We talk about Florence and the Machine and how when you experience Florence and the Machine, you're very overcome with that. She's pure power and she hits you. But there's that veil, and the veil actually goes into how the music is mixed live and 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 how it uh, how it appears and it's it's a uh, it's almost fashionable, the music. Sure, sure. And, you know, when you hear a Justin Bieber song, it is fashion. Like, you're, you're hearing modern fashion, not necessarily a, a symphony. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. That, that's what I would say, is that it's, it comes down to how the artist wants that particular thing perceived. And if they want the audience included or they want them to watch it or rush, they, they're inviting you on stage. Yeah. Bands like you too seem to master both, you know, where it's uh, you're watching them, but then they have those tender moments in a live show where you you are on stage with them. Bono Bono was brilliant at that too. And they they I think transformed from a band that simply played music to having these ginormous stage productions with all kinds yeah. of visuals and everything. And do you think that ever takes away? I mean, like I don't ever want to put down any single artist, but Miley Cyrus comes to mind. She does yeah. a huge stage production with blow up animals and all this weird stuff and everything. And does that <laughs> is that to distract from the fact that the musicianship isn't necessarily as good or the songwriting necessarily as good? Or is that just part of the show to enhance the experience? It, you know, I, I think it just comes down to however the, the audience perceives that. You know, uh, a big one for me was uh, the Sharks at the Super Bowl with the Katy Perry thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that a couple of years ago. And that was what people remembered. This is the the silly sharks instead of the you know won the game or yeah i don't remember who won that who won that game or even who played <laughs> but i remember the sharks probably new england let's go <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there was a i think yeah come to think of it she was on like a 
she was on a tiger or something like she was just and that was incredible yeah you know but you remember you remember the silly stuff that people often overlook some things that other people see Uh, it just depends you know i did watch a video where miley was singing jolene and it was it was awesome it was very good yeah i i don't i don't personally resonate very well with her music but um yeah, her dad is a uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. That's Mickey Braggy Hart. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, it just comes down to however the audience is kind of. I I certainly couldn't imagine getting into a concert where there's blow up animals. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if Justin or Matt Morris called you and said, "Hey, man, I want you to come on tour, and we're gonna have the giant animals," would you? Would that be like, "Sorry, I can't do it." <laughs> I don't know. In the mood I'm in now, I. I I'd go because I really like train wrecks sometimes. I want to go but, just to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been times when I've been on stage, and not with those guys, but there's been times when I've been on stage and just embarrassed. And like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. You know, and, you know, session musicians, the guys who play with Miley, and, you know, they, <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, kind of philosophical. If you had 60 seconds with, that 20 year old Dave, what kind of advice would you give him? Yeah, it's funny, man, is when I was 20, I had a dream that I was 30 talking to myself. And uh, the advice was great, but what I would say is stay focused. Yeah. Stay focused on what you want. Would you have listened to yourself? Did you listen to yourself in that dream? I, I, I did as much as I could have. I, there was definitely moments where I got swept away with the current of fame or uh, money or power. And it's really easy to be influenced by those things and lose track of, of what uh, music is, your philosophy of music. Sure. And uh, why you're doing what you're doing. It's, it's very easy to do that. And um, as you get older, you, you really, those are the things that are true and, and they, they stick with you. And there was times recently where, where I was tested in that again. And it was it was the easiest thing to overcome, so I, I would just stay focused, stay focused on what I was trying to do. Did you uh, did you see the movie Whiplash? Yes. What do you think of that that kind of mentality of like if you want to be one of the greats, you have to put all of your focus and energy into that thing to become great and at the cost of everything else. Like you um, obviously have a wife, you have kid kids, yeah, yeah, you have a family, yeah. so like you obviously didn't take that route of single focused. You know, yeah, mind, single-mindedness. Uh, but what do you think of that idea for an artist? Uh, I, I think it's great. You know, if I remember personally, there was times when I, like, say it was a, a, a Friday or a Saturday night and I didn't have a gig. And uh, this is before I was married. I remember thinking, well, maybe I should do something where I'm not performing or playing guitar. And I would, you know, didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> And I felt I felt kind of lonely in those moments. And it was, you know, to me, being alive is is about experiencing what life can give you mm-hmm. and what you can give to everything else. It doesn't just start and stop with with my medium and music. So that's me. I, I definitely know a lot of people who have decided that they are living they are living their life their way with their art, and they are going to follow that to to whatever end. Yeah, and I admire that, and I think that they're going to come up with genius works, and I can, I'm all ears, and I completely support it always. But for me personally, like there's there is a, a wonderful balance. I could spend 
10,000 hours in the studio and not find anything. My daughter says one thing and I'll go down there and 15 minutes later it's there. Do you think it's a tragedy? Well, obviously it's a tragedy, but like that, a lot of the artists that we revere as great artists are artists who put out a small body of work and then their life ended at a young age. I mean, from actors to musicians to whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. It is so poetic, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the, the tragedy of that is, is, I think that's one of the, the most appealing moments of, um, of uh, Heath Ledger's life, right? He, he plays this iconic role that no one's ever going to be able to do, and, and then he's gone, and it's just, but we have, we have questions. We, we want to see you do this again. Like yeah. we, but it, but it, it, that part, part of the beauty of that. I mean, you have to obviously look at this as it's such a like an observer perspective. Because as a human and a, as a father, gosh, I, I just feel for his family. You know, it's just a, it's a horrible thing. But but as an observer, we, that's that's why we do. We, gosh, that's why we do it. It's just this feeling. It's tragic. It's, it's part of the story. It's you know, it's, the guy from Sublime puts out <laughs> Sublime releases their record and it goes crazy and then he dies. You know, heroin, heroin overdose or uh kurt cobain i mean these guys they they really truly lived it and when there's there's some really destructive forces i was um i was talking to somebody recently and the you know the music of led zeppelin has um at the time when they were recording it jimmy page was working a lot with alistair crowley and whatever medium they were doing and comes you know recorded music you're recording people's thoughts you're recording their where they are spiritually and Whatever they're they're into, that's what's captured. And there's something really um, mysterious and alluring about uh, Led Zeppelin music, especially the recordings. And when um, Jeff Buckley drowned himself in the river that night, he's singing a whole lot of love, swimming, his boots are on, and he's singing a whole lot of love in this river, and it's foggy, and it's just uh, it's just fascinating. I think it's uh, just mysterious, right? Oh, Jeff Buckley's another one of those guys where you're like, man, this guy has a career that's just going to lift and take off. But there's something about him releasing an album called Grace and then not being able to do another work. It's just, oh, how perfect. It's like, tra- <laughs> it's like tragically beautiful. Tragically beautiful. I mean, you feel for you feel for the family, you, you know, closest friends. But yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's just another insight into the, their story and just gives you that perspective again. Well, what are you working on today? What what's uh, what's up next for Dave Preston? It's funny. Uh, yesterday, I was telling my wife I feel really called to do more uh, classical music, which is really interesting. So composing classical music, but also returning to the classical guitar. So I played some classical guitar at the beginning of my career, and a lot of flamenco guitar, and that's that's how I made my living. So yeah, returning to that, but I'm going to do another ambient record this year, and I'll promote that. But I have a lot of shows coming up with the Freddie Jones Band, and we have some plans, so we'll see. And um, I'm in a band with my wife, Rachel, called Deerling, and we're releasing our record. I mean, we have released it. Now, Now's the time to get it out there, and that's a country band. Is she doing the vocals there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we both sing lead, but she's she's the main she's the main star. She when I worked with Kelly Clarkson, I sat down next to Kelly and Kelly sang, and it was just amazing and miraculous. And uh, when I worked with Matt Morris, I sat next to Matt and he sang, and it was just I mean it's it's hard to tell just how good these people are until you experience it one on one. 
and my wife is the same way. You sit next to her, she sings, and you're like, "Good God, that's you're you're amazing, you're amazing." And I have to work three times as hard just to try and keep up with her live. Um, but yeah, we're gonna push the Deerling music this year, and so it's fun to play classical music. It's fun to play '90s rock music, and then pop music, R&B music, and funk music, and then it's fun to go into the Fleetwood Mac and country music and uh, you know, it's just fun. It's just fun to jump all over. I mean, each one has a lot to offer for their genre. You know? Cool. Very cool. Very cool. And I want to just say to the listeners out there um, that the music at the beginning of the podcast is Dave Preston. It's a Dave Preston piece, and I'm very, very, very grateful for that. So uh, thanks for that, and maybe I can get you to uh, compose some original Crave Magazine podcast music one day to throw That's in there. It. But but I love yeah. the I love that you're letting me use the music and uh, you know I always promote you. I just want to say that um, I did a quick Google on Dave Preston and you come up first. Your website comes up first, DavePrestonMusic.net. So anybody who wants to find out more about Dave, just Google Dave Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, and you can find him everywhere. And Dave, I'm really honored to have you on the show. I really appreciate your time, man. And thank you, thank you so much, and thank you to all the listeners for sure. <laughs> all right, uh, that wraps it up with Dave Preston. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts, so tell us how we can improve. Remember, always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art.